What's going on, guys? This is MDLP. This is the Battle Axe Podcast, episode 38, with my handsome Baron of the North co-host, Johnny Banks. <laughs> 38. Welcome back. Welcome back, guys. We are back with a vengeance. That's right. We uh, want to start this off a little bit different, and of course, we never start this off without giving thanks to our friends, family, and sponsors, to... Med CBD, always looking out for us. To Cerberus Strength USA, thank you very much for taking care of my people. To our Coast family, the Bearded Villains, Miami. Thank you guys for always being supportive of us, being here. Shout out to those guys all around the world. Mm-hmm. And of course, to the Battle Axe clan and family, you guys continue to be a reason to push forward. <sighs> We're going to start this off <laughs> with a small message. This is not going to be an easy episode. Not all of them are, but I'm openly saying that this will be tough. This is an unedited show. We don't ever cut anything out, so bear with us if things crack over time, our mentality and our voices. We're giving everything we can to this. Tommy, Chris, and Jen. This one's for you. Time robs us over and over again. And we will walk with wounds that do not heal. And we will dig through stones that do not give. And we will walk paths that do not end, that turn and weave in directions we did not prepare for. And no greater pain shall we find than when we lose something or someone we love. Juxtapose by winning something or someone we love. No greater contrast has ever existed in the human endeavor than winning and losing. In these moments, both in sport as in life, we are presented with the choice of failure and victory. The choice to look outward as our lives inwardly are set ablaze. It is in these moments that our lives are defined to gods, spirits, memories, science, life, family, and so on. It is in these moments that we find winning is a view into a person's future. Losing is a view into a person's soul. (sighs) MDLP. (laughs) I came out hard, dog. Yeah, what's up with that, bro? <laughs> I don't know. This was uh not I don't know. I know everything we're gonna do today. Um I don't know why I say that. It's a colloquialism really. Um I uh I wanted this episode to be difficult, as most things should be, but <sighs> the last five months have been tough. And mm. we know we have this attitude uh, going forward. Our last podcast was it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I love to use the word juxtapose, which I always felt is a made up word. It's not even real. I made it up. I think it's dumb. But that being said, the contrast between something in four weeks and five weeks, you know, you have a height of touching the sun and the flight of Icarus and holding on to something, even if it's for a little while. It's so magnanimous in what we're going to say today and what we do. And there's moments in time where you feel like that is really everything that is. And honestly it's not that um it's not that this is going to be a downer per se it's just reality 
And after Miami's baddest and some other things that happened in the meantime that I'll get to shortly, I realized that uh, not only watching competition is so inspiring, it's so it's so raw and primal to see winning and losing, victory and failure. And these words do differ, opinion-based, of course. This is literally what they're defined as. I, I took them and ran with them in a different direction. Like we talked about rebellion and revolution, outwardly and inwardly, as Osho would describe. And you see these things and you think, you know, you think about your life, you think about your experiences. You can't help but when you see somebody, you know, ripped asunder for trying their best and failing or, or losing, and then you see somebody gain that incredible victory mm. and that, that winning sensation. And then life comes at you in the same direction and in the same way, unrelenting and objective. And I wanted to touch base on that today. I wanted to go over something a little bit deeper for us. How winning and losing on the competitive field, whether it's, you know, we're going to obviously speak directly about strength sports, but sports in general, and how that correlates to life, how there's a difference between winning and victory and failing and losing, and how persevering on the competitive battlefield can prepare you for when life literally strips you apart. And that's where I wanted to run with this motherfucker. <laughs> so uh, in our conversations, we were talking about winning and losing and um, you sent me over a note <clears throat> and the note was winning is winning over someone else. Victory is winning over oneself. Losing is losing to someone else. Defeat is losing to yourself. So we're going to, we're just going to explore this for a little bit. So we're going to get to you personally. <laughs> we're going to start on the surface. Um, let's talk about a, a particular moment in time where you remember a win over someone else. Oh, <laughs> well, I can start with the first ones when I used to win Parcheesi's as a child. Uh, I hated <laughs> to lose, man. I still hate to lose. I was the kid that would flip the board, cry, and get slapped in the butt. And sent to his room. I couldn't lose anything. Um, mm. I remember when I first beat my brother in Parcheesi. It was probably the best day of my life. <laughs> Equally, when I lost to him in miniature golf once, I cried on the way home. I was already like 14 years old. Yeah. I was on the way home basically crying because he rubbed it in my face. But a win, and I and I will always remember this win. I was uh, on my, it was my second to last fight. And, or no, third to last fight. And I had just come off a loss. And losing and fighting is just so tough. And I was fighting this, Greg Pizetsky, uh, rest his soul, passed away many years ago. One of my greatest opponents. We, we remained in touch. I ended up speaking to his wife. He passed away um, maybe eight years ago now. And he was 6'2", 205, and I barely weighed in at 198. But I remember that was my best win because I was victorious. And I stuck to the plan. I trained my fucking ass off. I come off that f that loss like a bat out of hell. I was so mad. I was so fucking mad. I was so disappointed. I was so heartbroken. I ran every fucking day. I ran three to six miles, 10 on the weekends. I didn't cheat. I barely drank. I punched the bag for hours at a time. I would jump rope for two hours. I was so obsessed to 
push myself to where I felt like every single day I was being broken apart and I just, oh, that's what I wanted. Right. I was so mad. Mm-hmm. And um, I won. The plan was <laughs> he was tall and he liked to kick. Well, he would base, he would plan himself on the front leg and I would just cut kick him. That was the plan. And man, when things click in a fight that you've been training three months for and they're happening as you're doing it, it's like in slow motion. Yeah. I saw him set up the front leg. I'm like, he's about to kick. And I saw, and it's this is happening in, you know, fractions of a second. And he, low, he would try and kick, bang, right to the floor. I knocked him down. A swing of the battle axe. Exactly what that was. <laughs> right to the floor, man. And you can hear boom, and everybody going, oh. And it was just that, that gladiator, like gladiator feeling. You know, you're just in that coliseum, and you're just, and I would just go to my corner, calm. Mm-hmm. And I just beat the fuck out of his legs, man. I, and he was bigger than me. Yeah. A lot bigger. But when he would try to swing, I would just, you know, plumb him, grab him. You know, I'm like, I'm not going to swing with you, dude. Four, t- four inch, you know, difference. And I and I won. And I remember that feeling, man, of just, I mean, I, I won so, so good and so perfect. Yeah. It was just like, I'll never forget that win. I'll never forget that. And I remember the look in Wes's eyes, my coach and my corner and my friends and my family like that. You're a fucking badass look. I was like, man, I, I miss that so much about fighting. But it was too perfect. Yeah. And you can, the people, man, I can hear the kicks from the back of the room. And I, I loved it. Not only because I won, but how I won. Sure. Which is what we're talking about there is it's not only just win against another opponent. And, and I would tie it into how, man, I stuck to that fucking plan. Mm. And that meant so much to me. Good. So let's talk about that loss. (laughs) Would you say, as we're saying, losing is losing to someone else? Mm -hmm. Is that your most memorable loss, the loss prior? No. Um, I never forget a loss in fighting. Um, And, uh, you know, speaking of athletic losses, I always remember my losses in fighting. The last one was the toughest. I really trained hard for that. It was a five-round fight. Um, unfortunately, I felt like I could have done more in training in that one. Maybe find more training partners at the time. I used to just train by myself. I barely got enough sparring in, you know. Yeah. Um, at the time, our school was already like three people, two people. Sometimes I'd have to go to other schools. I trained alone a lot. It was tough. I hit the bag for hours because I had nobody to train with. And sparring is so important. It's a big deal. Yeah. But that loss was tough for me because... Uh, that was the end of my fighting career. I was so disheartened by that. You know, not having partners to train with, giving so much and no one being there. And, you know, it was not a big school. It was a small school. Yeah. And I suppose that reflects why I'm so protective of the battle axe and why I'm so protective of my group and my guys because I know what it feels like to be let down and yeah. to have to do a sport where, unfortunately, it's as much as it's a one-man thing, it's not. You need sparring partners. You need mitt partners. Yeah, right. And not everyone was waking up with me at four in the morning. And Wes tried his best, but he was a one man show and he wasn't sparring with me. Um, and, you know, this is stuff that it, I'll tell him now years later, but I need a guy bigger to spar me all the time, like once a week. Yeah. But that certainly is one of the losses that, that stuck with me the, loss, the, the longest because I stopped after that. And then, of course, and then Strongman, um, I can 100% tell you which one absolutely hurt the most and that was nationals 
2016. And, and another one recently, obviously. But I trained my fucking ass off of that again, you know? Mm-hmm. And I saved money and I was there and I was going and fucking hyped. It was, I had gotten 15th the, the year before. So I was just ready. I was like, there's no way, top 10 for sure. I was confident. I was strong. I'd pulled 700 pounds. You know, I was just on this rampage. And I got there and I dropped the farmers. I blacked out on the Zurchers. I remember the next day we had a keg carry sandbag, but I was so shot from the first day of blacking out and getting fucked up. I almost blacked out on the keg carry and load. These are when the events were a little bit more simple um, or cool, old school like that. And I remember how crushing that was because I had told everybody, I had all this pressure from home and I was going to make top 10. I was strong, man. And everyone's like, oh, this is MDLP. Like, keep an eye out. And I fucking got like 21st out of like, it was like 21st out of 60 something. But you might as well put me in the fucking bench. You might as well just left me in the fucking hotel room. Yeah. Um, I, I remember dropping the farmers the second time and looking, you know, when you look at your hands, like, did this just, did this just happen? Yeah. And I remember um, being real bitter and I took that loss pad. I wasn't approachable. I was not an adult about it. I was angry. I got drunk. I got mean with everything. I was like, fuck this. You know, not horrible. But people were like, hey, man, it's going to be okay. I'm like, it's not, man. I wasn't one of those guys like, oh, thank you. I was like, it's not going to be all for you. I should have fucking gotten top 10. Like, I was not okay. Yeah. And I guess I was also disappointed in how I took that. I didn't take it gracefully. I'm not a graceful loser. I'm not. Like, if I give everything I have to something, you know, I when I love something or someone I love, I love violently. I love aggressively as much as I hate aggressively. I just, it's just me. And, and I work on it, but... Man, when I lose John, when I put my heart into so into something and I go in there with everything I have and I don't and I lose and I fail, I try, dude. It always ends up bad. I end up drunk and fighting with everything or everyone or getting kicked out of a bar. I become self-destructive and I'm getting better at 38 years old almost. But that that loss meant a lot to me because I didn't take it well. I wasn't okay with I wasn't, you know, I didn't take it gracefully. I didn't take it like a leader. I also was not a as good of a leader in any capacity back then. I was more the athlete than I was the coach, you see? Mm-hmm. So top 20 was a choice, you know? And that hurt a lot, man. And I remember, like, even when I think about it nowadays, I cringe, like, how I took it. I remember, oh, Jessica, who I train now, she was like, hey, it's going to be okay. And she, like, put her arm around my shoulders, like, being nice. And I, like, yanked off my shoulder and fucking touched me. It's not going to be okay. I'm like, ugh. Like, I couldn't stand it, you know? And it was... Yeah. You know, in hindsight, I get it. I would have been like, yeah, thanks. Now, maybe. <laughs> what would you have done to your athlete if you saw him respond that way? I would have beat the fuck out of him. I would have pulled him aside and go, come to, go with me outside. And I would have been like, if you don't correct that, I'm going to punch you in the fucking face. Like that. On 100%. I would have pulled my guy out and be like, I'm going to fuck you up in front of everybody, dog. Go apologize to them and make sure that you smile the rest of the night. But there was nobody there for me. I was, I was like being coached, but not really at the time. Um, I remember I was with Alan, but Alan and me, Alan had coached me too, but also was like my friend. So he felt uncomfortable approaching me. And I was like unapproachably angry. Like I don't yeah. blame him at all. Like what was he going to fucking tell me, you know? Yeah. And I was just not in a good place. And I was so pissed. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, um, and I'll be honest with you, man, tearing my tricep in December was felt like a loss. That hurt. That was a, uh, and it's something we'll touch soon where you can lose but not fail. 
Yeah. And I didn't even step on the competitive field and I felt like I lost. And I don't, obviously I can rationalize and be like, I lost my chance at battle. And you might as well put me in the dirt sometimes. That shit hurt. Mm-hmm. I, did, I did everything I could for that goddamn show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you I don't remember. forget those. And I can tell you a million losses. I always will, but don't worry about it. Even rugby matches. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how like you see a lot of athletes. Uh, the victories kind of, are, they, they kind of wash. But, right. man, you guys don't forget losses, Not that's for sure. Never. All right, so <clears throat> as you said, victory is winning over oneself. So. Let's talk about your greatest personal victory. Oh, I can tell. This is no problem. Not no problem, but coming back from. <laughs> I always thought that nothing would top 2017 and then 2022 hit me in the dick, but <laughs> we've talked about it openly. In 2017, I had my spine injury. I lost my best friend to suicide. Um, my first weekend back to strongman in 2018, I tear my bicep tendon and I took that gracefully. I was kind of like, well, after a spine injury, fuck it. Uh, even though I had some nights. So I trained all year, you know, getting back and I come into Miami's baddest, um, excuse me, Florida strongest man, 2018. Um, and it was a pretty stacked show. I mean, Reed, me, John, Austin, uh, Joe, I mean, it was couple other guys and i'm sorry if i forget anybody else i'm kind of in the zone and i already knew too i was like it's gonna i said i'm just gonna be me and reed i'm gonna chase him you know joe mm-hmm. was doing pretty good too actually but i had come with such a, a, a gusto you know <laughs> and i remember megan made those back as fuck shirts yep. and all the bb guys showed up and i have like all oh, these guys there and i was just so emotional because you know a year and a half ago i was told i'll never compete again and that's like the worst. And I'll, I'll, sh- I'll tell you a story and I'll come back to it. Yeah. I was hanging out with my friend Weaver, who's a SEAL team guy in Virginia. Uh, and he told me one of the worst days of his life. He was in uh, Afghanistan and there, there was somebody getting blown up every day. Scott Weaver, if you're listening, I'm going to make you listen to his podcast. I love you. One of the baddest guys I've ever met in my life. And the biggest teddy bear, too. One of the nicest guys. That's absolutely and they're getting blown up every day. The day before, he had saved somebody and got blown up. But it was just like con- like a concussion. And he's okay because these guys are on another level. Yeah. So he goes back out the next day because you're not going to let your boys go out without you. It's just, it's not like that. These guys are, it's a warrior code. And he gets blown up. Fucking crazy calf. Almost loses his entire leg. Takes a thumbs up picture anyways. He's in this hospital bed. He tells me this. this I hung out with him last weekend. Mm-hmm. And he, as amongst other stories, it was just, he was saying it. And he was sitting there and he was telling the story. And he's sitting in this hospital table room, like bed after bed after bed, if you can picture this, divided by this fabric. And you're sitting there with possibly your leg being lost. You know, you haven't, he hasn't spoken to his wife, his kids, his team. And the doctor that comes sees him has already probably lost his bedside manners. He's seen this so much, he had none. And he basically told Weaver, he's like, hey, you're done. Make sure you make preparations when you get home that you're done with the teams and start preparing for your life with either as an amputee or, you know, as a civilian. And the way he looked at me and he said something, he's like, when you train your entire life for this and they're going to take you away from your brothers and you're going to stop operating, there is no, there is no purpose in life. And the way he said that, like it, 
it hit me in this way where outside of going into combat, which is on another level right. for athletes, or I'm going to reflect this upon athletes, when you dedicate your life to a passion, whether it's art and you lose your sight, whether it's music and you can't use your hands, like it's the closest thing you can relate to that because I'm not going to literally say that it's the same, but it's very similar because even when I tell him that, he's like, yeah, you, I understand. Like when I use the words battle and stuff like that, I've sat with those guys and they're like, yeah, that's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. And so when you're sitting there and you can't feel your leg and you can't walk and you can't sneeze and fucking cough and they're like, you'll never compete again. Like you just, you don't, like I wasn't mature enough to take that. Yeah. And so I remember competing and I hit that 315 pound log press like it was a fucking joke. Roar of a thousand like I suns. Roar of a thousand suns. I could have thrown that shit into the moon, dude. I was, I could have done that for four. It was, I was so, I felt like I could, there was that moment in time where it was just elation and I could feel the crowd be like, this motherfucker's here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember, <laughs> I remember carrying the keg because the last event was kegs back and forth, whatever. And I knew Reed had already won it and good for him because he, he did beat me and he's still one of the best middleweight ever. And I remember taking, I knew I was going to take second place. I just needed to finish this. And I remember picking up the last keg and my forearm popped mm. and my left bicep muscle popped because I was already kind of like dehydrated and beat up. I can feel the muscles tearing. And I remember not, I almost cried on the way back with my keg because i can hear the crowd i have the video it's emotional you can see people getting up and cheering because that was a victory yeah or i lost i did second place is losing but i have never felt more victorious in my entire life to captivate victory and to remember a victory in a single moment is probably one of the greatest gifts you will ever feel as a human being if you're lucky, you'll have a, a few. If you're gifted and blessed in any capacity, you have many. And I'll say that I have many if we sat down here and discussed many aspects, but I remember that moment as an athlete. Mm. And I have never felt more, I've never felt taller and stronger and bigger and more victorious and more full of, full of purpose. And I remember walking back and like choking up as I'm walking and I can just hear the, the clapping and I was like, this is what I crossed the crossroads for. Yeah. You know, when I was staring down that fucking, that lonely path and when I felt like I was lost, I go, this is the defining moment of why I never quit. And I use that moment all the time. And if you really search, and I'll challenge you, to when you were victorious over winning, if you can define that moment for you over time and hold on to it like a gem, that'll bring you back. Because I can tell you where the sun was. I can tell you what I was wearing. I can tell you what the keg felt like. I can tell you the muscles that I felt pop. And I, I can hear the crowd, the movement, how I set that keg down. I can remember the walk back and the shoes. Man, I can tell you everything about that moment. It'll be... And this was in 2018. This was already well over four years ago. And, you know, you may not think four years is a lot, but in your 30s and 40s and 50s, years <laughs> disappear very quickly. Amen, brother. Yep. And I would challenge you, if you can look back after this episode and say, when in my life was I victorious? When did I have, you know, victory over myself? When did I accomplish something 
where I planned for, worked for, sacrificed for, gave everything for, and it came true, even though you may not have beat somebody else, you certainly felt victory. And that's a beautiful feeling to me. I think that is something that I will hold on to the last day of my life. How do we teach people to better recognize their victories? That's a great question. I think it starts with semantics and defining the difference between those things first. Mm. Number two, honesty with your effort. You know, I see a lot of people, myself included, we have all made this carnal sin as athletes where, well, I worked my ass off for it. Like, did you? Mm -hmm. Only you know that answer. I think victory comes with, the idea of victory comes with accountability and honesty with yourself. No one in this room knows the voices that speak into your brain before you go to bed. <laughs> Those are the ones that need to know what victory feels like. Yeah. And I think it starts off, and we can start this off obviously with a very pragmatic approach, proper programming, realistic goals, um, setting competitions that are within your skill set and your weight set, um, being patient. These are all things that set you up for a win. But even planning on a show that's above your league or something in dark waters, the effort is really what will eventually define your victory. If you tell these lifters, hey, man, it's, let's be real. You know me. First place is winning. Yeah. I'm not here to give you a fucking participation medal. Let's be very clear. That's why there is a clear terminology of winning. You won. You're first place. You won. Yeah. But I know winners that are not victorious. I know winners that cut corners, cheated, lied, total fucking divas, bunch of fucking losers with a first place medal. I see it all the time. You're just a fucking punk with a trophy. I don't really, I'm like, cool, man, you won, but you're not victorious, dude. You're not a champion. You just yeah. won. Good for you, dude. Yeah. And we all know it. We just, we're not going to say anything. We're not going to take the moment from that person. Hmm. But if we tell people that victory over yourself is to stick to the plan, is to have passion, is to overcome hardships, is to do the diets, it's to sacrifice time with your family, it's to hurt, it's to have pain, it's to limp down your stairs, it's to not make that phone call, it's to regret who you didn't speak to, because it hurts. Yeah. And that's, that, that thing is what will make you feel victorious, and those are the things that you hold on forever. Defeat is losing to yourself. Let's talk about your greatest defeat. Ugh. In sport? <laughs> Give me both. Okay. In sport, I'll tell you that um, the last Nationals I ever attended, I was the one that started the, the spine issues I had become reckless um, too many drugs too much training cocky the diet wasn't on point I would drink when I wanted to I was strong I had this uh, <laughs> that's when MDLP was MDLP all the time and I remember you know confusing and having more passion than discipline as my as Trevor Jaffe once told me and confusing passion and recklessness with courage and um you know recklessness with bravery 
<laughs> and I pushed the limit and I broke my body in half. I went out there and didn't do well anyways, but I failed myself. I didn't die like I supposed to. My cut was awful. My, I mean, even though I was like doing like a keto, half carb, I don't know what the fuck I was doing. It was so undisciplined. I didn't rely on anybody. Yeah. I mean, I was getting coached, but it was like I was beat up all the time. I wasn't communicating correctly, and it was good coaching. I just wasn't doing my due diligence. I wasn't resting enough. I put my business. I was barely sleeping. I was training late at night. My body ached. I wasn't recovering. I wasn't doing any of the micronutrients. I just kept pushing and pushing, thinking that if I just was like when I was fighting, if I just punched more and ran more and fought more, I would be better. And on the contrary, it crushed me. And I remember I tweaked my back, put it on a knee sleeve, and it hurt. And I competed anyway. And I came back after nationals, and I did a mock meet because I was going to do a powerlifting meet a month later like an asshole. And I did a mock meet. I remember squatting like five-something, pulled six-something, benched like almost 400. Like, ha no problem. And I couldn't walk for that for like the next, next week. And I felt like such a punk and such a failure for not sticking to the plan, to not listening to anybody, to not being open to conversations. And I, I kind of opened like this, and I'm being very raw in this episode. Maybe you guys understand why sometimes I'm so uh, unforgiving when I tell you, hey, don't do that. <laughs> because no one was really there for me and maybe I just didn't open the doors properly for anyone to be there, period. Because I didn't want it. And I was stubborn and I was quiet. And, you know, I understand when people are like that, but you know, I didn't have the guiding hand I had in fighting that I did in strength sports. You know, I just, I left Wes and that was very crushing for me to be coached by a mentor, a big brother, a father figure for five years and suddenly go from that to nothing was like being abandoned i always felt like an orphan like well, now what and as much as i took it in that i can do it on my own stance i didn't yeah. and that failure of that year i haven't been that strong since john that was five years ago and that is heartbreak have you made any peace with that not yet i i wish i could tell you that i wish i could tell you that the man that i used to be <laughs> Oh, fuck it. You know, I get stronger in other ways. Fuck you. Yeah. I still haven't pulled 700 again. Yeah. I haven't loaded a 420 stone. I boasted it recently. I did a 200-pound circus dumbbell in 2016. Six fucking years ago. You got motherfuckers bragging about that now. Yeah. I'm not even close. I haven't made peace with that. <laughs> I have not. It makes me... It puts the chip on my shoulder that fuels me in other aspects of my life. But I promise you... That that pisses me off. <laughs> I wish I wish I'm not gonna give you some hippie yoga bullshit and be like, I'm at peace. If I was at peace, motherfuckers, you should all be worried because that's weird. Yeah, that I'm not peaceful with. I haven't let that go because also I feel like man, I still have a race left, right? Yeah, I still have like a flight into the sun left, and I think it's like I can't let go of that loss because there's just some things you weren't meant to heal from. So, uh, kind of off topic, on topic, um, I remember seeing this thing where they were talking about love language, right? They were talking about how a lot of people um, will, their love language is the things they went without, right? 
So if you okay. if your love language is touch, it's because you were we weren't hugged enough as a child. You were, you know, if your love language is communicating love, then that you're overly communicative, like you're just always. Bleh, bleh, bleh. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you feel like your coaching love language is uh, you giving out that not having a coach in those times? <laughs> That's a good question. That's a really good question. If I had to say that what my coaching love language is, it's a result of desire to not to not be left behind. And uh, this reminds me. Um, I saw this thing with Mike Tyson. I sent it to you on Instagram. Oh, <laughs> my cousin sent it to me. And he, uh, this guy asked Mike Tyson, he goes, hey, if you can have this computer to speak to a custom auto and you can write custom auto on email, what would you say? And uh, he goes, how did I do? <laughs> and I swear to God, dude, I felt like I got struck by every feeling I've ever felt in my in my life. And. I think a lot of us as athletes just don't want to be left behind. And it transcends that because we constantly fight for our first place. We fight for recognition. We fight for a team. We fight for a family. We fight to express ourselves. We fight to look the way we wanted to look. We fight for not being abandoned. We fight to um, not be betrayed. And it comes finally to us in a way that if we work hard enough, then maybe we'll attain some of these things, right? Because life robs you of things that you love. But sport, ultimately, if you try hard enough, may gift you what your sacrifice was worth in the first place. And my love language as a coach is to ensure that these motherfuckers <laughs> know that I'm not going to leave them behind. Yeah. And I'm not the I'll be honest with you, I'm not the greatest coach. I have made mistakes and I have um said the wrong things. And you know, I always say anger is my love language and I, I always say that plainly. But it comes from a place of fear of abandonment. It comes from a place of fear of letting people down and letting and leaving people behind or being left behind. So when I tell my guys, I'm like, hey, you know, that's not a good idea because when you get hurt, you're going to feel like the world has completely crumbled around you. You can no longer do what you love. And that relates to life because when you get your heart stepped on, it is the loneliest feeling in the world. And nobody can knock on your door and nobody can take you out for drinks and you can be around a thousand people and you want to literally die. And that's a very... Similar feeling to sport when you lose that group, when you lose that that capability of expressing yourself via sport. And, you know, this year has been really, really tough. Yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, in the last five months, and I'll tell this to you openly and, and raw because this is basically what this is. 
In December 1st, I tear my tricep tendon. And I'm telling you this story not because I want sympathy or empathy or anything like that. You know that. And I hate that shit. But it's just the reality of the world. It's you, you can train as hard as you want for life, but life will always win. <laughs> That's why I always say life doesn't fight fair, so don't fight fair back. Cheat. Yeah. And December 1st, I tear my tricep tendon, and I feel like, you know, that's a big a big kick in the dick, and I am heartbroken. I did all I could, whatever. You can ask people. I wasn't even drinking anything for, like, months at a time. I was fucking solid. Yeah. December 27th, I lose a good friend, Chris Koki. That's you. He was at one point a, ter- a, a training partner to me, and he passes away at 31 from a heart attack mysteriously. Not a drug user, not a bad person, not a piece of shit. Like, I have more of a fucking right to die from a heart attack than that guy, and I bury him. And you, when you see a mother bury their kid for the second time, you just, like, life has a different... It ta- it almost changes your your genes, like you... The shade of life, the the filter is different because mm-hmm. the, when she's saying that eulogy, you hear that pain in her voice, man. Like you understand what loss is, bro. Dad, talk to a mom that buries her fucking kid. Oh, I felt like that tendon was fucking. <laughs> I almost laughed at myself. Yeah, I said that's pain, and I, I don't want to like take away anything from injury. Injury sucks. And then Monday, <laughs> the week of, of uh, Miami's baddest. You know, we lose a good friend, Jen, and Jen Perrin was a beautiful soul. And that's like losing a big sister. And that one hurt. That one hurt. It still hurts. And I see Rick and Rick, her husband, who was a G. Yeah. Because Rick's a grown ass man. And I don't know if he's going to listen to this. And it doesn't matter because he already knows how I feel. Because people should know how you feel when they're fucking alive. And. I see loss like that, and I'm like, Miami's baddest man comes, and it's the day of her funeral, bro. And the show must go on, because if there's ever been a reason to put on a good show, for not only for charity, but to change lives and push people forward and to have people win and feel loss, you have to be there. I couldn't leave, right? (laughs) Then last week, my friend Tommy dies in a motorcycle accident. This is... uh, a person I used to train Muay Thai with. At one point, it was a training, like a brother to me. Yeah. And I'm not saying this, again, let me reiterate this. I'm not saying this to chronicle pain, although that sounds a pretty good title. But it's to, it's to prepare you for the fact that no matter how hard you work at something, there's always going to, there's always going to be something that pushes you to that level where you're losing something. But that doesn't mean you failed that person. It doesn't mean you failed that sport. And that's where I think this correlates so fucking hard, John, because when you work hard for a sport, you may lose that day, but you didn't fail yourself. Yeah. When you lose a person, that doesn't mean you failed them. If you work hard enough for them, if you love deeply, if you love truly, uniquely, because love is unique, and if you prepare and you you hug them, you train with them, you communicate them when you had them, because life is like that, it's different paths at different times. You never failed them. And I I can't express this enough because I think all of us that listen to this podcast are a little bit passionate. And we take our sports seriously like we take our love seriously. When you love somebody and you lose somebody that you love or loved once, you think, well, it's gone, it's done. 
but never if you fa- if you never fail them. Mm-hmm. And you keep that capacity till you go on because you can always continue that path of not failing someone if you stick to the journey, the progress, the process. And this year has proven that to me unequivocally. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> a little selfishly. I think it was like February. Uh, if you guys are active listeners, you'll notice that our our schedule just got really wonky. It got really yeah. wonky because uh, for me... Um, <clears throat> I lost a friend, uh, a very good friend from high school, Alan, uh, passed away. Um, a few days later, I lost a coworker and a mentor, Rusty. And then the following week, um, we lost a good friend of the family, Cowboy Mike, uh, passed away. All for different things, uh, two for health problems, one a veteran <coughs> who had some, some issues. Um but it kind of just washes over you <laughs> and it, it kind of just, it's not, I guess I'm backing you up on what you're saying about being open to this because we're human people. And although we preach uh, the fight for the dig down, um, we're human too. So anyways, for them, you know, obviously we'll do this them as well right but i do want to say something you brought up the conversation uh about mike tyson mm. and i heard a question and since you brought it up i kind of want to bring that back because i thought this was a really interesting question and uh i want you to truly take a moment when i finish this mm. um not that i think i think you'll you won't need a moment but if you walked into a room with every person you've ever met in your life who do you go to first? And what do you say? Uh, alive or alive or dead? Dead or alive. Every It could be anyone you've ever met in your life. Even for a moment. Oof. Um, well, damn. Take your time. Like if I talk to them right now? Yeah. I don't want to take away from anyone else because... I don't want anyone to be offended by this. But I would love to see Bake. Mainly because that's exactly what I would, I would absolutely say exactly what Mike Tyson said. Mm. Like, how did I do? And you should have been here. And um, mainly because my connection with him has... Uh, just set forth so many good things in my life. Yeah. And I've met a lot. I mean, you know, John, we have had the opportunity to meet so many cool people. Yeah. So I would hate that, like, diminish. I mean, I might even try to go back to some random dude I met in York, England that thought I was brilliant because I punched a punching machine in the arcade and it hit 905. He's <laughs> like, you're absolutely brilliant. And I'm like, thanks, bro. Like, I would have to go back and be like, yo, I'm more jacked now. I just hit it, you know? Which I hit a 915. That's good. <laughs> yeah. But um, when I heard that question from Mike Tyson, I also thought myself, what I'd say if I can write an email to him and my grandma and and Jen and Tommy and Chris and other people that we've lost and 
It All really right, boils on. down to that. Hold on. All right. So one sentence email. Jen, Tommy, Chris, it was? Yeah, Koki. And Bake. One, one sentence, sentence each. to each. Oh. <laughs> uh, you know, that that's tough because obviously, you know what I would do, honestly? I would probably cap it off and be like, do you miss me? And uh, I think that I'd love to hear that because, A, it's silly. Yeah. And, B, you know, I want to fucking hear it, man. And, uh, God, I wish I, I'm going to think about that one a little bit harder and maybe come up with something better at the end of the show. But I would <laughs> love to hear diary. that from them because they're endearing. But I think that's a good question if you guys pose that to yourself. You know, if you can, if you can go right now and, and talk to a loved one via email that has been gone. Mm. And you say, and you can re- like email them and talk to them like that. And I think that 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 completely, it should be as simple as possible, right? Because I can write a fucking novel about things that have happened. But man, I'm telling you, when you see that video of Mike Tyson, I thought that was so beautiful. It's almost like you keep it simple. You never lose that concept of a mentor. You never lose that concept of a friend. And simplicity really kind of defines friendship sometimes and that also defines the concept of what we're trying to say today is you know these words like winning and losing and victory and failure they carry so much weight and they carry so much definition and i challenge you guys because you know i read recently about sports psychology and the importance of you know sports psychology being over 200 years old and uh, and it's just an incredible field about the importance of mentality um, the importance of perseverance the importance of pushing forward and i think it all starts with words and communication and it's important when you speak to your athlete when you speak to yourself and say okay i lost but i didn't fail or i i won and i was victorious or be very real i won but i wasn't victorious and these are concepts in life where you can say things like you know <laughs> I'm losing at life, but I haven't failed. And, you know, I may have lost a person, but I haven't failed them. And these are important conversations when you when you start to kind of get yourself out of these moments because I've seen the abyss, both myself and, and seen in somebody else. I've seen somebody hit rock bottom. And I can see them falling through quicksand as a coach. I've seen as my athlete literally starts to dwindle apart in front of me. And when you see this in someone and they're looking at you with like, hey, save me, you're not going to write a fucking novel. You're not going to have a two-hour conversation. You're going to say simple things like, and they have to have meaning, like you're not a failure. Yeah. You haven't, you haven't failed anybody. You may have lost, but you haven't failed. And you got to tell them why. And I think that that's my main point today. That was a whole, uh, one of the major moving factors of what we said today. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I wish I could, I wish I had a, a a magic pill. And I always say this every episode almost. It's like it doesn't get easier mm-hmm. because you learn to love harder because you have dealt with loss so much more furiously. Whether it's in sport and injury, whether it's in life and loss and death and re- ends of relationship and ends of friendship. I have friends that I've lost that are still alive. That one sucks even more. <laughs> And you have to understand that you may have lost that friend, but you haven't failed as a person because you're still putting priorities to yourself. You're still setting goals. You're still setting plans. You still have a fucking 
strength program for life. Yeah. And it, it's true, and it correlates with a lot of us that actually are fucking athletes. <clears throat> Heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about uh, this very famous quote? It's only after we have lost everything that we're free. To do anything. Oh, nice. A little fight club for you. Yeah. Um, what a good can one. you speak on a time where you felt like you've lost everything? Oh, sure. Um, I'll preface this by saying that this is very unique to every person. Yes. Because I've, I've, uh, I've seen people that think that they lost everything uh, materially. And there's people that have everything materially and are very rich and have lost everything emotionally. Um, I would say that to me, it's when you lose sight of yourself and you lose who you are and you lose concept of what you want for yourself. And when you lose sight of self, you really just lose everything. And as an athlete, <laughs> again, that correlates so heavy in life, especially back then, like and I always reference, you know, 2017 for that concept. So I lost complete perspective of where I was going. And I see this a lot, right? I see a lot of themsel- people injure themselves out. Um, they lose concept of what they're doing in their sport. They injure themselves out from sport. And then suddenly life starts to fall apart. Their relationships, their friends, their outlook, their work, their energy, their weight, their nutrition. Everything starts to kind of fall into, like, off. Yeah. And then it's not just sports, you know, it's not, it doesn't become a complete, a cliche podcast. It doesn't become funny memes. Suddenly when you can't train anymore and your body can't do what you want it to do, you don't, you're not happy anymore. You're not funny. You don't go out. You don't feel comfortable. You're not chipper. You're not charismatic. You are empty. And that starts to really play wave havoc on things you love to do. And that's something that I felt was in that year. And I talk about it very openly all the time. It's like, I lost sight of myself because I had defined myself in one capacity. It was a strong man athlete. It was about being strong. And I defined strength as a physical physical capability. I, if I couldn't lift heavy, if I wasn't the strongest guy in the room, who was I? And a lot of us do that. Whether we're the tallest or we make the most money or we're the fastest or we're the funniest or we're the most stable or we're the most quiet or we're the most artistic, it doesn't matter. We will always seek a singular way of defining ourselves so that we have status, but that status is standing on a fucking thread. And when life, in its very distinct way, snips that underneath your feet and you crumble down to the floor and you say, who am I? And I see it, I see it in athletes all the fucking time. Oh, I'm taking a break. You know, I'm, I'm going to just like uh, this priority switch. I'm like, what priority? What's the priority switch? Because you define yourself as a power lifter, you define yourself as a as a strong man. And now that's been stripped away from you. Now what? And that was one of the, my biggest, oh, you know, eye-opening moments. And it's funny because I've seen a lot of people change their perspective, people that I know personally yeah. that have been through injury and have come back and how their narrative has changed. <laughs> yeah. Because they get it. Yeah. You know, this is just an avenue of expression. There's, that doesn't mean that you don't, you're not willing to sacrifice everything for that. You know, you're willing to sacrifice 
limb and body and money to be the strongest human being you can be. No, that doesn't take that away. It just means you find a particular uh, avenue to express yourself. And I always tell people that losing yourself and losing sight of who you are is the biggest loss you will ever feel. And sometimes that comes through sport and sometimes that comes through loss of family and loss of friends. Because you will never feel that isolation or that loneliness of being left behind by something. And that's why sport is so cruel. Because you can give everything you can ever have to a sport. Life, money, family, time, body. And suddenly that sport just fucking leaves you behind. And if you can persevere through that, if you can push through that, if you can stay the course through that, I promise you, (laughs) I promise you that that will prepare you for life because burying friends is probably one of the hardest things in the world. And there's some of you out there with enough stories to fill this fucking room with tears, and I'm not fucking denying that. But not quitting on something you love puts you in that scenario to hold fast. Yeah. This episode of the podcast has been brought to you by <laughs> Jameson. Uh, sorry. Just, uh, this is like, uh, I swear to God, one day we're going to be fucking, nah, they're never going to sponsor us. We're too emotional. <laughs> I don't want this. Oh, come on, guys. Get get a bottle. Get a, get a good cry in. Get a good cry in. The Irish? Yeah. The fuck out of here. <laughs> well, they cry for soccer, dude. I know them. Or rugby. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I always say like I think that's. Um, have you ever read any um, stories or anything like a World War One? I'm a freak. I love it. I love history. And they would sing. They would find of you know there was incredible battles, and there was so much explosions, and so many bombing that once they were digging, they would find body parts. And that was common. Like you're digging their trench and in the trench you would find somebody's head or arm or intestines. Yeah. And they would make jokes. Oh, I found a piece of Johnny over here. Oh, I got Frank over here. And it was his intestines, whatever. From an outside perspective, that's probably the most disturbing thing you can do. But human beings have discovered this way of using humor as dealing with a heavy case of morbidity. You'll see this amongst first responders, military, or very like self-destruct people, or comedians, like Robin Williams being one of the prime examples. Feeling a little attacked here. Well, here we are. <laughs> and you know, I always I always I always say like that's why I love doing podcasting because you know you can go from the depths of you know teary-eyed, you know, feeling like shit and really hurting your soul to making a Jameson joke because Ultimately, that's the best avenue yeah. is to make humor or make light of things that are difficult. Um, and so I always I always like that we do that. And, you know, tonight's like the way we're speaking about things tonight is very important because 
ultimately we have to come across this show with a resolution. And I'm not going to just feed you here things that are sad. Right. Uh, only, obviously. And, uh, you know, how, how do we deal with this? How do we overcome this? How do we get better at this situation? And a lot of us come with preparation. Defining the difference between motivation and discipline. Having a proper training protocol. Having control over the things you can't control. Mm. Understanding that losing something in someone is not necessarily a failure, a reflection of your failure for them. That the way they go is not a reflection of how much you love them. That the way you train and the way your outcome came from that championship is not the way that a reflection of how hard you train or how hard you didn't train. That the way the results came and those things and the medals around your neck are not necessarily the crown of thorns that you place upon yourself because you're guilty of things that are insignificant. That an athlete should understand that we will always play guilt and we will always be harder on ourselves than the world sees us. Defining the difference between looking in the mirror and the way people look through a window are very big. The reflection is not the way through the window. And that needs to be defined. You need to listen to your mentors. <laughs> you need to listen to your family. You need to absorb the people that love you and the people that support you, your friends, your lifting partners. Yeah. It's important to listen to those people sometimes. What's your plan of attack? Being open-minded, being an intellectual, being communicative, mm -hmm. learning to articulate failures. Read a book, listen to a podcast, talk to a friend is what I would say. Talk to somebody you've never spoken to before. Pick a coach's brain. Sit with your partner and say, hey, besides what I can do wrong, how can I be better for you? What can I say that's better for you? How can I support your lifting? Because when you coach somebody and you teach somebody, you learn tenfold. Yeah. How did I do? That's easy. What can I do for you? That's hard. Why do coaches thrive? Why does coaches form look so good? Because they learn to be selfless. Why do they look so strong? Why do they last longer? Because they learn to be selfless. Because the purpose becomes outside of themselves. It's important to be selfish as the athlete, but it's important to ask why and how you can help somebody. That's your plan of attack. Your, your daily processes are what helps you recover from your pain. Absolutely. Physically and mentally. Yeah. And I tell people this all the time. It's like, <sighs> I'm not like, okay, first of all, chill. I'm not saying I'm like this fucking machine, right? But a lot of people will see me in a way like I'm like, everything's great. Hmm. Oh, Mike can deal with it. I mean, I can, but I said it a long time ago. I'm really good at being wrong. I'm also really good at dealing with failures. Yeah. That doesn't make me a winner. It just doesn't make me a failure. And I deal with hardships uh, sometimes very poorly. I will get fucking <laughs> blacked out drunk and do what I do. But ultimately, it's these daily concepts. And I think I always say this, like, Coaching and f finding goals outside of yourself will ultimately help you find a balance with loss and failure. 
And I cannot express this enough to the athlete. Now, I'm not asking you to go fucking pick up garbage at a local beach, which you should. <laughs> cool. Do it. But what I'm telling you to do is that when you're when you're looking at your program, ask someone to look at it outwardly and then help them do that too. Yeah. You know, load some plates. Have a conversation. Go to a fucking training session where you don't do anything but mobilize and help another person out. These little things do add up. But dealing with loss and and the psychology of losing and the psychology of bouncing back and getting your stuff together, it's a process. They have the 24-hour rule, which is very popular. Hey, forget it. You know, like I think Manning had spoken about it. He's like, oh, just 24 hours and then just dump it. Agreed. But that's very difficult. And so I, I always argue to that. Like I, I think it's very important to to find a base, to find a system. Yeah. And um, for the things I just mentioned before, I think it needs to be that way. You know, as you've gotten older and you've become more connected to things, do you find that that's part of the reason why you're not as, I guess, reckless with numbing yourself from a loss? Oh, let's see. (laughs) with, With age comes, maybe you want to feel this pain a little bit more. Yeah. You know what I like to feel the most is, um, The choice to destroy myself. That I have that choice. Yeah. And um, I suppose that's why I do sports that are so damaging or have. It's like, it's just my choice. Yeah. You know, it's my choice to, uh, to, to hurt myself that way. You can't take that away from me. Right. Or you can't hurt me harder than I can hurt myself. And I believe that that's pretty much the defining reason why a lot of us are in strength sports. <laughs> it's like life can't hurt me harder than I can do it to myself. Yeah. And I put myself in scenarios where it's challenging that way and scenarios and conversations and situations and moments in time, as Tyson Fury would say, where these, these are so challenging and so self-inflicting that I'm ready for anything. That's why I took up the gloves. Yeah, because I didn't want to be called a coward or a pussy. That's why I've lifted weights that ninety nine percent of the world can't do. I believe that's why a lot of us do this, to find the purpose, to not be left behind, to not be forgotten, and to have a memory that we made for ourselves, that life can't take away. Yeah, and that's important to me, and I kind of hold on to that all the time. I like that. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, and I, I, I can say this on a personal level for the few comps that I've now competed in. The thing that uh, I really enjoy most about reflecting on those times are the times that I was training with with people. Right. When I was coming to the axe and training with my friends who are competing too and, you know, prepping for Miami's um, this year. When I didn't, obviously, I couldn't compete for, I was away for Lola's birthday, but I got to help my friends prep, and uh, yeah. man, it felt so good to just help. Servitude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny, like, again, one of the things that we talked about earlier is, like, uh, one of the, th- your love language being something that you never had, and I was always uh, working very hard to survive. Right. And so I was always just trying to pull in whatever I could for myself. 
And uh, then it became the polar opposite at my worst. I became very, very into doing everything I could to help anyone else but myself. That's always that's always a whole fucking yeah yeah, and then now it's I obviously, um, I now understand who I am as a person more right, uh, and now it's it's a good balance of it all you know, I've learned to be a little bit more selfish when I'm training, mm-hmm. and I'm in prep, uh, but completely selfless when I'm not prepping for anything, um, with everything, right I. Th- I think, uh, again, the selfishness, selfless conversation will always be there. Um, it, it's just too real. And I was thinking about the last five months for a lot of people that I've, I've spoken to. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's like, it's, every year is always difficult. Every year, every concept is going to bring a new challenge. But, you know, losing and winning and loss and, and, and failure and these things are perpetual yeah and if we don't discuss them openly and how they correlate like how sports and then life and then because here's an example something happens in life you don't train you lose a friend you lose a family member you lose a loved one most people take a step back from training yeah they say oh i can't train i can't go to the gym right now you know i don't want to eat okay i get it (laughs) um but when things go bad in sports, a lot of people don't realize how much that affects life. Yeah. You get hurt. You lose a competition. You fail. You cheat. You don't even want to get out of your room. And I think it's important to identify that, at least from a psychological perspective, how important that is to set that baseline. And like, hey, man, Life is way harder, but your perspective and your courage into sports is going to prepare you for when life strips you from things. And that's why I always tell people like not to give up, not to miss the gym, not to stop eating correctly, not to miss mobilization things, yeah, not to, uh, you know, not be there for your team. So fucking excuses because it's going to be there. And example. Man, I had so many reasons this year, John, to just, <laughs> man, I had more reasons to fucking miss, man. I think we both did. And yeah. I couldn't because when life was really hard, sports were always there for me. And when sports betrayed me, life was there for me. Yeah. When I was on <laughs> my third surgery... My friends were there for me. And stories. And life and, and, and dinners and business. Smoking a cigar. And hugging my old man. Life was there for me. Yeah. And then when life stepped on my fucking dick. And they strip up the people that we thought would always be there. You know, when you bury friends too young and when you know that that's the last time you hear their voice and when you know that there is no tomorrow for that person and that the crater that they left behind 
is drowning their family. There's sports right there. Train. There's a lift. There's a push-up. There's a warm-up. There's a pre-workout waiting for you. And it sounds silly until you walk into that gym and you're on the brink of tears. And all you have is that fucking barbell. And I guess it's not so funny then. And the correlation between those two things is just so magnanimous to me. It's so visceral. So I take things like that seriously. I, I, I don't abandon any of those things because when life has let me down, man, sports was the one. You know, and, and it's like, I get it. You know, alcohol, I love alcohol. I love partying <laughs> with my friends. I love all that shit. But th- that, they're not there for you. Yeah. You know, you're there for them. But sports and, and family and those things make so much sense to me. And nothing, I think the last five months have been so evident on that. And I tell people that's why it's important to define why you're not a failure. And why losing and why losing a life sometimes is probably the greatest victory you'll ever have. Because it, it, it starts to uh eat away at you. And uh, you know, the morning the days seem forty hours long suddenly because you can't sleep. And uh parties seem weird because you can't get drunk enough. And you can't laugh enough. Yeah. And nothing's funny. And there's not enough people to make you feel like you're in a group. And then these concepts start to really grow. And you realize that it's all about getting back into something you love because you're not a failure, right? And I, and I challenge people to do that. I really do. Like, if you're listening to this at this point, <laughs> it's it's identifying in your life right now when you've lost and when you failed and when you've won and when you've been victorious. Because there are moments in life where you may be winning. Money, friends, quote-unquote, material things, but you're not victorious because you're dead inside. That happens to all of us, especially <laughs> Miami. Yeah. And then there's people that lose a competition. Here's an example. Esteban came in fourth place. Technically lost. Yeah. I have never seen a more victorious young man. That kid's special. He fucking stepped up to his game. Yeah. He stuck to his plan. He came over back injuries. Victory. You know, and that's very important. Like the, when those things are moments in time for him that's going to define the next time he gets hit by a life hardship is like, I've been through this shit before. Yeah. It was just painted in a different canvas. And that I, it, who's going to take that away from him? Nobody, nobody, because that's an athletic thing. Right. And, you know, it's, it's like uh, talking about my boy Rick. Motherfucker was in the gym seven days later. Yeah. How do you do that, man? 
You know why? He's not a failure. And you can't you can't take that away from that from that person like that. When you when you see things like that, mm-hmm. that shit changes your again your filter in life. And so I I'm very hard on those concepts. I'm very like uh, hell bent on that concept of like stick to the plan. Yeah. And 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 don't fail yourself. Is there a um, any type of psychological research or anything like that that you ever encountered where like uh, habits and processes uh, are I guess a cornerstone in people recovering mentally from hardships that's a good question and we're going live right now that's why all right so there's a lot of concepts on to me like how to recover from hardships and I wish I can like I hate that I said like so Miami. If if we could sit down and have a bunch of peer reviewed studies about how to recover from hardships, we'd be here for like a few episodes. But and there's whole steps and the whole process of grief and all that shit. But right. I can't I can't express this enough. I it would always I try to keep it as simple as possible. Accountability will always be the first first one. And First of all, grief, when it comes to grief of of loss, when it comes to sport or when it comes to loss of someone, is accountability. And here's, I hate to be cruel. <laughs> when somebody passes away, don't bullshit yourself. Yeah. If you never loved them, shut the fuck up. Don't pretend. Because the only motherfucker that you're fooling is yourself. And that's a clown show. Same thing in sport. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. Man, I don't know why it turned out this way. It didn't go my way. You know why it didn't go your way? Because you're a pussy. <laughs> because you didn't train hard enough. Yeah. Only you know that voice. I've been there. I know why I didn't win sometimes. I was, you know why? Because I was a bitch. I decided I thought drinking was cooler and staying up late and watching Netflix was a lot more important than getting my sleep and dieting. Because yeah. weight cut was so hard on me because I was a fat fuck for 10 weeks that I lost the ability to win. Accountability will always be, in my opinion, the number one arsenal towards that. Yeah. And, you know, there's, man, I wish I could tell you there was, uh, there's tons of other ways of dealing with this and having a concept to it, but no. (laughs) I, I, I almost don't accept it because I'm a person that does bad things, but I know why I do bad things. So when somebody goes, hey, you did that, I'm like, you goddamn right it did. Yeah. Not, oh, my God, no way. That's crazy. No, I did it. Just like I understand why sometimes things don't go my way or why things rupture or things fucking rip apart physically and mentally and in life and in sport. And so if anyone here is listening and they're getting the whole concept of like, oh, you know, that's how do we deal with like hardships and overcoming them. My perspective, obviously, this is not, there's so many peer-reviewed journals of how to deal with this in a step program. But I think most of us that listen to this podcast and deal with sports, ultimately, we search for purpose. And purpose is found with accountability. I'm not even going to, accountability is derived of things more than just discipline. Yeah. It can be, obviously, motivation and honesty and communication. And purpose. And yo, 
<laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it. Lack of accountability is the coward's way. Yeah. You don't have to be you don't have to be open about your accountability. You know, you don't have to literally say, Oh, you know <laughs> I hate when people go too crazy. Oh, I do this. I'm like, yo, I don't need to know that, by yeah. the way. That's weird. I don't need to know that. Chill. But accountability is just talking to yourself. It's truth with yourself. And that would be the best way, in my opinion. Um, like I said, every time I have this fucking conversation, the voices you hear before you go to bed, the one right before you go to sleep when you're most vulnerable and most tired, those are the ones you should really learn to converse with. Yeah. Those are the ones you need to have a drink with. So accountability is the first step to getting victory. You cannot have, a, my opinion, you cannot have victory without accountability. You can win. Mm. You can be a winner. But you cannot be victorious. Yeah. Because I can beat anybody. But the only way I can beat myself is by being true with myself, accountable. And you can be the biggest liar in the world outwardly. But if you're truthful, if you're truthful with yourself inwardly, you're going to be all right. That's how scumbags thrive, dog. <laughs> if you're, if, listen, man, if you're. They're like, how do bad guys live forever? You know why? Because they don't lie to themselves. <laughs> That's right. They're like, and oh, man, why do bad yourself? people, why do bad people get away with everything? You know why? Because they don't lie to themselves. Yeah. Well, I, you know, stabbed that guy in the kneecap because I wanted his money. Yeah. I love stealing shit. Yeah, I love stealing. <laughs> yeah, like. It's great. Well, shit. It's so much easier than working. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, so. And that aspect, I think that's 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 one of the big major things. Yeah, yeah. As defined by Michael De La Pava. I know. There's no peer-reviewed journals for this. <laughs> yeah, this is not a good idea. Victory is winning over oneself. And it comes from the concept of, for those of you guys listening right now, when you listen to Osho and Rebellion and Revolution, mm. revolution is a concept of outwardly changing, you know, you know, toppling the government, you know, going over something. Right. Rebellion is inwardly, changing yourself, accountability, being more disciplined, trying harder, eating better, training harder. These aren't outward things. These are inward things. Mm. That's the difference. And according to Osho, now he just took two words, revolution and rebellion, and completely defined them. Like we are completely redefining the concept of, of winning and victory. And that's very important. Right. Because, you know, as we were talking about earlier in this podcast, it's like, you can win, but it doesn't mean you're victorious. And I'm taking those two words personally. I really have no idea if other people have done this. So, you know, I'm not going to copyright it. I am. Definitely us. Yeah. Only us. No one it's else only has done us. This. TM. There's a TM on this whole thing. So don't, you know. We got a guy. Yeah. I got three guys. We got three guys. Yeah. All right. Whatever. And why not take those semantics to empower the situation? And if you go, if you're, if you're training, if you're getting after it, you know, did you win the day? No. Or you're a failure? Look into your notes. Right? We all train, right? We all fucking lift notes. Did you, did you eat? Did you sleep? Did you take a, did you look into the training session and have the right numbers? And if you did fail, then say, okay, I fucking failed. Right. That's my favorite thing. This... <laughs> I live with the regret. I failed, my friend Bake. I failed. I never said I, I, not only did I lose him, I failed him. 
like I say it, I've said it. You can look yeah. back. I failed. I was not there enough. I was not. I always thought you don't you don't think that you're gonna bury people young. Now I know. <laughs> In the last five months, I don't need to know this anymore. But life is this way. I failed in some ways. Yeah. I failed him, but I didn't fail the ones before. The ones that came in the last five months, I didn't fail. I lost them. But I didn't fail. Because I learned my lesson. The extra hug, the extra I love yous, the extra text message. Motherfucker, how many times do you and me text each other randomly? <laughs> All the time. You know why? Because I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail my friends. Yep. And I'm a bad person. I fuck up all the time. But, you know, I'm not going to go through that again. Right. And I tell people all the time, it's like, take that perspective that you do in training and take that courage that you have outwardly towards your friends and turn it inwardly. Like, there, I challenge you, there's very few self-destructive people more than us in this room. <laughs> that being said, don't challenge us. It's going to be a long night of drinking. But... <laughs> Here we are. But <laughs> um, turn that inwardly. Yeah. You know, because you'll tell you, oh, man, you know, you didn't lose today. You, At least you didn't weren't hurt. You know, but when we talk to ourselves, we're like, nah, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you see your buddy, like, fail a squat. Hey, man, but hey, look on the bright side. Yeah. Your shoes are nice. And then we look at ourselves, we're like, God, you're dog shit. You're like just smelly dog shit. <laughs> you know, and I'm like. Think about changing those semantics. Yeah. Because if you're willing to change percentages, leverages, you want to watch a guy that tells you to squat on a boaster ball, you want to do reverse bands, you want you want to do all these concepts, but you also don't want the way you speak to yourself, the way you communicate to yourself, the way you communicate to others. I would challenge you, listen to how you coach others and see if you coach yourself that way. Mm. And I'm guilty as fuck. But I've learned over the years of being absolutely crushed to change the way I speak to myself. Mm. Mike, you may have lost today, but you're not a failure. Cool. I'm getting into a 1992 Bronco with some bass. And I'm going to go drink with my friends. <laughs> what a time. Life's not the worst. Despite the fact that my knee, hip, shoulder, <laughs> elbow <laughs> really suck thick. Let's go through the list of things that do work. But But why? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because I just had this conversation with somebody that's very important to me. Uh, Mama Wilson. Ugh. Probably one of the most giving, loving, badass fucking ladies ever. I've totally fanboyed over her. Oh, met her. bro. Right? Like, it's like, can I can I hug you? Yo, she was like, yes. I'm like, it's like you. walking, like walking into like <laughs> seeing Ric Flair. You were like, woo. Like you can't help yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. But how often are the ones that give the most the worst? The absolute worst at asking for help. We all, Man. everybody that's listening right now is going to say yes. Yep. <laughs> you know, we help every everybody out, but like helping ourselves. It's because we don't learn to communicate inwardly. Mm -hmm. Because <laughs> we may only speak to one aspect of ourselves. The good person, the giver, the lover, but not the scumbag and the liar and the thief. We deny that person a voice. Yeah. We deny that person a conversation, but more often than not, that person is there. We deny the person that skips sets, skips meals, doesn't count macros, gets a little fat, misses a lift, 
We don't we deny that person a conversation. We just shun them like a fucking leopard. How does that create good conversation? How does it create virtue? And how does that create good leaders or good coaches? And I, I would argue all the time. Like, people will always openly speak to the better sides of you because they're brighter and easier to see. But you, it's your job to communicate and articulate and learn to speak to that parts of you and others that are not the brightest. Yeah. And nobody knows that better than coaches or parents. <laughs> Let's be real. You think you're always going to speak to the good side of your kid? Your kid probably hates you between 13 and 19 because kids are terrible people in the first place. You're fucked, buddy. Woo! Now I have a 17-year-old stepson. Let me yeah. tell you, bro. Yo, what? I Look. I say dad shit all the time, and then I'm like, uh, yeah, uh. and then I'm like, why Look. is it right, though? Why is it right? Why? Why? But, you know, speaking on that, actually, it's funny. I don't know who said this, but... Uh, I watched something where somebody said, you know, uh, and I'll speak to the, the, I'm sure it's for women too, but for men especially, um, you need to be mindful of the way you react when someone speaks openly and disrespects you. Right. Because you would not allow a stranger to disrespect you. Why do you allow yourself to do it in the way you speak to yourself? Yo. And I was like, Boom. Yeah. Fuck. And okay, so okay, so let's put this into again. It's a, how do you do this? You fucking practice. You fucking practice. Everything is practice. Like verbalize, write it in your notes. How many of you motherfuckers have a journal but have no thought process in it? You don't Absolutely. We're getting a refund. How <laughs> how often do you not say, hey, could do better. Not the worst set. I tell my lifters personally, that that journal should speak your feelings. If you look at my journals, it says, arm hurts. Better luck next week. Don't get upset. Unhappy face. Little things to remind me, fucking, I have my journals for 12 years, 11 years now. 11 years later. 11, motherfucker. That's most and most of you motherfuckers have been lifting. Fuck you. <laughs> it's saying, hey, be better. Yeah. Because I learned from a lo- young age that sometimes the only guy that's going to speak to me in my darkest moment is myself. I have, sometimes I have learned, and I am surrounded by really awesome people, but no one speaks my language. No one but myself. Mm-hmm. No one has learned to articulate the fire in my belly but myself. Right. If I'm lucky, which I have been, I've been fortunate enough to to express this in a way. Because my father says, Where there was fire, there's ashes. But you can always start a fire with ashes. And if you burn bright deeply enough inside, some motherfucker on the outside is going to catch fire. And that's what coaching is all about. But you have to burn really bright. And I mean bright, not like happy-go-lucky, like happy. Like, I mean really burn. And that comes from learning to speak to yourself the right way. Accountability, honesty with your scumbaggery and your bullshit, which I may be outwardly one way, but inwardly, there's no lies. And 
I challenge people all the time to do that. Yeah. Because I always say, I'm like, they're like, oh, I can do that. I'm like, are you sure that you can deal with that life? Are you sure? Because I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure if you're going to be dumb, you're not that tough. <laughs> and I, that's always been one of my biggest fascinations with conversations. Yeah. It's like, where are we going from here? And yeah, so like, I, I really, really want to push that. Uh, you know, semantics, words, the power of communication, because it's funny and it seems like hippie bullshit until it's not. It's funny when you fucking listen to a motivational meme on Instagram and suddenly you work out that day. Mm-hmm. It's not funny then, is it? Right, motherfucker? It's not, it's not gay, right? It's not fucking stupid when you see a, a lifter and a song and a particular speech and you go hit a PR that day. It's not stupid then. Because some fucking guy in his basement made a fucking meme with a song and it got your stupid dick in a knot, and now you're gonna go lift in a fucking uh, uh, lift a barbell deadlift, and now it's badass. Now it's not funny. Now psychology is not that funny. Now it's real. That's why I always when we host these fucking podcasts, I'm like, I take this stuff seriously. Yeah, I take word, I take communication, I take inward communication, I take the word things like losing, failure, victory. I think things like hold fast. I take tattoos seriously. I take communication seriously because ultimately it's a human endeavor. It's a human connection. That's what you talk about when you leave a fucking competition. That's what you talk about when you leave a, a conversation. You get fucking hyped up. Yeah. You're like, man, I had this thing with that. I can tell you, bro, I have lifted more things than most people will ever do in the rest of their life. And then I have met people that will do more things than I will ever do. I've seen a 450-pound log press live for two fuck you, Weech, if you're listening. Stupid piece of shit. Yeah. He's such a good human being, though. Fucking guy. Anyways. Disgusting. I've seen things that are stupid. Yeah. I've hung out with the world's strongest, man. I've hung out with the... And they will rarely talk about their numbers. (laughs) I've sat down with the most deadliest motherfuckers on the planet. And they will rarely tell you about their kills. They will tell you about training, their friends, and ask you questions. I have sat down with SEAL Team 6 guys who are so willing to hear your story that you almost feel silly telling them about cutting weight when these guys have gotten blown apart across the sea. Yeah, I mean, first night I met Scott, he made dick and fart jokes with me for like right. 20 minutes. I was but living my best life. That's the attribute of success. They're willing to listen to your other people until you can hear yourself inwardly. Yeah. Sure. And that shit's fucking huge. What a good turnout. I'll see you guys later huge. on the online. Go listen to us huge. on Spotify and SoundCloud and also iTunes. Yes. Do all those things. Yes, we're on fucking... Uh, we're on Spotify. Yeah. So now you guys can stop crying about us being on Spotify. Right. And here's my concept. Mm. And going into tonight. And... I think one of the the greatest values is not to change. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily you have to change. It's you have to grow inwardly first. And I never want to change the conversation piece or the the level or the capacity of these shows. I never want to change the effect or the depth of what we hit or what we do. I know today was a little bit heavy on some aspects, but... (laughs) 
ultimately we're going to change and look into what we do best, which is never give up. Yeah. And how else can we put it in a better team? And I, I, I kind of look back and I said, if, if I could have asked those people anything, I'm going to change the whole fucking, the whole concept on you, John. I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to ask them anything. I'm going to tell them I never gave up. Yeah. If I could talk to my friends and I could talk to everybody that, that slipped away and I can just like for one second, just fucking have a moment to just fucking speak to them. I'm not going to ask them anything. I'm not going to do the concept of what I would do when I would talk to myself 10 years ago. And I said I would listen. If I can talk to those that I've lost, I wouldn't ask anything. I'd tell them, hey, I never give up. And that ultimately you and me are going to cross paths. Hmm. And I'm going to tell you the same thing. And I hope it looks like I have a chip on my shoulder. Because that's how you would have remembered me. Because life is just a series of memories. We have to grasp as hard as we can. And if we can equivocate, grip strength into life, it comes from perseverance. It comes from courage. It comes from not giving up. It comes from being accountable. From the depths of your disgusting, bullshit, true self to the lighthouse that shines really bright. God, I wish I could tell you that something was different. Man, I wish I could say that the next five months are going to be so much easier, but the last five months have made such an impression that there's no easy path anymore. And I don't want it. I want to dig to the, the trenches and the mud and the bullshit, and I want it to hurt, and I want sports to hurt, and I want life to hurt but only because there's purpose and there's memories that I want to grasp for the rest of my life. And that losing and failure are so different and that winning and victory are so far apart that I can define myself by saying that I am the most victorious loser you ever meet. This is the Battle Axe Podcast saying don't be a pussy. Everything ends. Motherfucker. <sighs> I'm just sick of crying.